On July 16, 1965, a massive alien spacecraft from the Zeta Reticuli star system landed at a Nevada test site north of Las Vegas. Following a plan set in motion by President Kennedy in 1962, the alien visitors known as the Ebens welcomed 12 astronaut-trained military personnel aboard their craft for the 10-month journey to their home planet, Serpo, 39 light-years away. It is the Alien Probe Podcast. It is Sunday, April 20, what is it, 23rd, and I'm Doug. This is Deb. That's Deb. That's me. I'm Doug. And uh, we're going to be discussing Serpo. This is episode two. We discussed some of the, we're getting to the preliminaries of the of the um, the mission with the 12 astronauts and uh, they're actually Air Force uh, officers. And um, we're going to, what we're doing is we're doing the lead up to the actual mission and uh, some of the background of it. Um, there's, you know, we don't know if this is true, if it's not true, um, but it's, um, we're taking this from, um, there's a book called The Secret Journey to the Planet Serpo, and uh, it's a pretty fascinating book, so um, I would urge, and there's also, a, um, there's also a website, and we'll be discussing that, um, but um, the survival of EBE-1, what we learned from him, and he was one of the, um, he was an Eben, and he was captured uh, uh, from one of the crash disks at Roswell. And um, in a subsequent associate with his planet, opened up an entirely new era of our planet's history. It, it was first baby step for Earth on stage of galactic affairs and initiated a lasting alliance between the United States and its civilization initiated, um, or excuse me, a civilization on a distant planet. This was our antidote for the threat of the Fourth Reich in Antarctica. And it came at a perfect time Roswell transformed American technology, expanded our cosmic vision, and opened up the door to the space age. The selection of the Los Alamos National Laboratory near Santa Fe, New Mexico, as the site to the house to house the alien found alive at the Corona crash site, seemed at first glance to be rather strange and inappropriate. At the time of the crash, in July of 1947, less than two years after atomic bombs had been dropped on Japan, Four years after it was founded, the Los Alamos Laboratory was still a little bit primitive. Originally, the Los Alamos Branch School, a private school for boys who wanted to live an outdoor life. I want to go to that school. Yeah. It was selected by J. Robert Oppenheimer, the director of the Manhattan Project, and approved by General Leslie Groves, and then was commandeered by the Army in November of 1942 for the express purpose of designing and developing the atomic bomb. Yeah, we know where that went. Yeah. Um, it seems the most important rationale for sending the sole alien survivor of the Roswell crash to uh, Los Alamos in 47 must have been um, based on trying to learn whatever they could about the advanced technology incorporated into the alien craft and whatever other scientific information he could give them. The theoretical physicists at the lab would have been most capable of comprehending the information and possibly converting it to human uh, technology. In a more perfect world, an unexpected visitor from another planet might have been sent to a top university where Earth academics would be uh, would have attempted to learn about his home world. But only two years after a brutal, devastating war and with the military expecting another one, advanced technology uh, adaptable to weaponry was the main preoccupation of the U.S. government and uh, paranorm paranoia was... Uh, superseded uh civilized curiosity you know it's more important to make weapons out of this stuff than learn. you know be you Human. know yeah and to, <laughs> to just learn. To, uh, to learn just, about their life just to learn about it now you know how do we convert how do we kill people with this thing yeah the major concern in dealing with the aliens was first and foremost communication I guess we had to learn their language a little bit. Yeah. And evidently it was believed that if the most brilliant scientists in the country couldn't learn to communicate with the ET, then nobody could. So academics can't do what the scientists could, right? Yeah. Furthermore, once the alien was in a secure location, other more appropriate language personnel could be brought in as needed to facilitate communication and interaction. 
And they, of course, would be thoroughly investigated and made to sign security oaths before they gained admission. MJ-12, um, that's the Majestic 12. It's the 12 people authorized under the president to uh, look into these uh, crashes and extraterrestrial visits and things. And these are the guys that you know, even they even knew more than the president did. So they kind of, um, although they did report to the president, it was... Uh, really not known as to how much the president actually knew about everything. Um, but they decided to refer uh, to the Roswell aliens as Ebens. Um, this was simply an unimaginative derivation of EBE, standing for Extraterrestrial Biological Entity. After being comfortably uh, ensconced at Los Alamos, there's a word you don't generally see. We don't use that a lot. <laughs> The alien who was given the designation of EBE-1 by MJ-12 um, willingly cooperated in attempting to overcome the communication barrier. But the language differences were huge and seemed insurmountable. And later on, I'm going to try to put up, I have an actual list of the Eben alphabet. It's about 350 symbols and it's handwritten oh on God. this piece of paper. And it's really oh wow bizarre. Um, as shown in Close Encounters... Of the third kind, Steven Spielberg's 1977 movie. God, that was that long, a long time ago. The Eben language consisted of tonal variations and sounded almost musical. One contributed, contributor to the Serpo website described it as high-pitched singing. Some of the sounds were not, not even reproducible by the Americans. For the entire five-year period that EB-1 remained alive, he was only able to teach the Los Alamos scientists about 30% of his language. Anonymous reported, oh, anonymous. That's yeah, a, anonymous. That's a anonymous. What did you remember from the first yeah. episode one? He's the guy that doesn't identify himself. That's providing all this information to uh, the Serpo website, and um, I, you know, and hence, you know, that's where I believe they got that, and then the book was developed after mm -hmm. that. So he said that um, complex sentences and numbers could not be recognized. So we just got. Words, letters, yeah. just the very, very basics of their language. You remember Close Encounters? When was the last time you? Oh, I was years. I was a child. <laughs> You're such a youngster. <laughs> yeah, it's um, at the end. Probably don't remember that, and I had to be reminded. I remember the music, and I remember the mashed potatoes. Well, at the end, when they found, I don't want to give it up to anybody. Oh, yeah, I've been since nineteen seventy. So I don't know if we're yeah, those of you who haven't seen it yet, and. Um, less than 12 years old probably don't care anyway mm -hmm. um at the end they were loading these uh the 12 scientists from the same story as this book so right. um reagan actually uh, talked to spielberg at a certain point and said actually stated to spielberg and this was quoted by um, a witness to the conversation and um reagan said to spielberg after he watched the movie with them i don't know if he watched it with them where they were discussing mm -hmm. it and he said, this is more real than you really know. Oh, wow. So, pretty crazy. EBE-1 identified a piece of equipment found intact on the alien craft as a communication device for sending and receiving messages from his home planet. And he showed the scientists how to use it, but they couldn't get it to work. No, no communications with his planet were possible for five years until just prior to his death in the summer of 1952. When one of the scientists realized that the device had to be powered by the energy source on the alien craft, well, that would make sense. Yeah, they and they'll discuss that later. But the um, the Eben had a um, he had a handler. He had a, an officer. Mm -hmm. I don't know which branch of the service, and I don't know if they're going to discuss this later. But I know obviously a lot about the story, and they, um, you know, he they communicated pretty well between them. However, whatever method they used, but they. Um, when they tried that, um, it worked. It was, uh, what was very surprising about, um, this is the fact that an earthling who figured that out, not the alien, evidently EBE one just wasn't very smart. Anonymous tells us that uh, he was a mechanic. Oh, okay. Yeah. He wasn't a, he wasn't, he wasn't a brain surgeon. He was just, you know, he just, just a mechanic. So, <laughs> he was a mechanic. So he didn't know how the engine ran, but you know, he's a mechanic. But he didn't know how the radio worked that's kind of interesting um he was it was a secret he, well, yeah I mean, you know i don't blame him for not being truly you know 
forthcoming with all of his information yeah, because it, we put him in a damn hole. Put him in a, put him, I don't know what kind of accommodations we gave it him. Not a lot. Right. It was a certain, probably, a, I hopefully it was. I, it sounds like his handler. They would land, He lived in a house with his handler, literally. But he, but you know, on von base, of course. But you know, you're never getting away. You know, yeah, you're so you're not you're not going back to your old life of mechanicing things. And you know, was he? A, did he let him be a mechanic here? Because we could use let him work on We could stuff. use an EB here to fix things. <laughs> they wouldn't understand our our outdated technology. Oh, okay, fine. You know, I mean, if you drop someone from you know, the future and drop them in here. Our stuff is, I imagine they're, they're familiar with their technology. They couldn't reset the Wi-Fi for me every now and then. couldn't reset or... the Wi-Fi and can't, you know, figure out why it's not working. Why OBS Stream Labs won't show my camera. Aww, <laughs> your life is so difficult. It's hard. <laughs> well, once the connection was made, the alien commits sending messages to his planet. And during the summer of 52, he sent six messages, all of which were successfully transmitted. He was able to roughly translate the messages into English for the benefit of the Los Alamos scientists. So they must have been in simple sentences. Cause... Yeah, there's a, they'll go into greater detail about you know what's going on with the communication. Eventually, we were able to talk to him. Um, there was message number one, notified the planet uh, that he was still alive, that even one was still alive. I am captive. Uh, help. Uh, come pick me up, please. Message two told of the crash and the fact that his crew were killed upon impact. Um, the third message requested, come help me, help. that a rescue craft be sent on Earth to pick him up at the prompting of the scientists. So we're saying that the scientists said, hey, make sure you tell him to come get you. I wouldn't, I'm sure he wouldn't have thought of that himself, but hey, I don't know. He's just a mechanic. And when we get them here, we're going to keep them. The fourth message suggested that a formal meeting be arranged with Earth officials, who would, of course, be American. <laughs> of course. Message five said that the United States government had requested um, that an exchange program, which is what this whole thing is about. There's a dog poking its face in here. Sorry, how you, doggy? And the sixth message gave the landing coordinates on Earth for any future visitation. Why this was attempted is puzzling, since EB-1 really couldn't interpret our chronology or numbering system, and we already knew that these coordinates were probably not going to be understood by the Ebens anyway. Yeah, they have a different frame of reference on just about everything, time and everything, and we'll, it'll be explained later what the deal is with, you know, actually it was a 10-year journey to the, or excuse me, a 10-month journey uh -huh. to get to the planet. Right. And um, it's a, it was supposed to be a 10-year stay, and it ended up being 13 years because they couldn't convert. We lost the ability, you know, any ability. They watch us. You know, your watch, didn't work. Yeah, your watch eventually just stopped working. Yeah. and Or didn't work the same way or whatever reason. And then, you know, they uh, by the time, it was 13 years by the time they actually came, got back. Wow. But the, you know, I've explained the story, but they did get back. But it's a great story. I mean, this is a great story, true or not. But yeah. EB-1 did not receive uh, some replies to the messages, but they were replies that only he understood. So they, you know, they're probably smarter than us. They probably figure out our language quicker than we can figure right. out theirs. His attempted translations were confusing. Apparently his plan had agreed to a return visit, but the date they specified was over 10 years away. Our people concluded that this must have been a mistake, but they were unable to obtain a clarification before EB-1 died in the uh, late summer of 52. EB-1 did not did intend to make that suggestion, but apparently there was no reply to that message. The proposal for an exchange program this early in the game was evidently purely in the interest of intelligence and not goodwill, since the apparent spy mission of the aliens and the discovery of human body parts on the spacecraft very likely caused us to view the Ebens as potential invaders. Even though we already knew they were not human flesh eaters. Well, I'm sure they didn't grab us to eat us. Well, the thing is that when they uh, went into the craft, yeah. there were bo human body parts in yeah. there. So as they were doing something. But but they don't think they were And I don't them. think they were getting humans from the morgue. You yeah. know what I'm saying? As we discussed before, over 100,000 people go missing every year. Right. In the U.S., about 2.9% of those 100,000 people 
are never found. Isn't that bizarre? So in this day and age with this technology, mm-hmm. uh, I find it, that's a huge, um, that's a, that, that's a lot of people. Yeah. You know, that, and you, that aren't using credit cards, aren't using their cell phones, aren't you? And all of a sudden right. they, fall. I can't go around the block without having my wallet, my cell phone with know. me, you know? So, um, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Nonetheless, the discovery probably created sufficient distrust for us to uh, obtain inside information about the race that dropped onto our planet out of the skies. After all, they were they were caught stealthily gathering information about our military capability instead of landing at the United Nations in Manhattan and asking to be taken to our leader. Take, take me to your leader. Take me to your leader. They don't know who is your leader. I mean, that's always the big joke. Who's your leader? And it's... Who's the leader of Earth? So they looked at, you know, to, at a certain point right. in our history, look at maybe Trump. This is your leader? Oh. Okay, we'll never, you know, We're okay. Out. Maybe Putin. Maybe Putin? Yeah. And then we could go, well, go down. I don't want to leave anybody out. But, you know, those are... Well, there are a lot of leaders on Earth. Yeah, so which, yeah. you know, that's that's what we would have to... Well, we're literally just kind of... We lead this part of Earth. All of us, we have territories. So, so you're... Um, yeah. you're warlike. Yeah, you might say that. Well, yeah, you might. <laughs> yeah. Especially in the 50s, you know, that would have definitely... Well, Here's a, our recent history. We just... Yeah, bombed, that's why we wanted technology to kill people rather we just than bombed study. A, we just bombed some cities into oblivion. Yeah, so what yeah, we do. We're a peaceful people. We did it for their own good. <laughs> they got to be they got to be scratching their heads. <laughs> their little, gray, are these their little gray heads. Yeah. Well, they had the technology to reach our planet... And be assured, we were going to do whatever it took to get our hands on that technology. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so if we were able to walk around on their planet and they were willing to let us visit, we're going to get there. The fact that the suggestion originally came from the military caretaker strongly implies that the proposal was based on a military consideration. Yeah, after the death of... Um... EBE-1, the uh, Los Alamos scientists continued to try to establish communications with the, with the Evans planet. They had a lexicon of the Evans written language to work with. And let me see, I can actually, um, I think I can probably put, uh, let's see if I can put it up there. And there we, display capture. Let me see. I guess not. Oh, oh wait ahead. a minute. Uh, let's see how we can see how this. See how my technology works. Let's do that. Oh, they're symbols. Yeah, so it's a symbol. There's about 350. Um, I can't try counting them all. You can so you could like get your here. name tattooed on you and even. Yeah, it's kind of like when people do Oriental writing. Yeah, that's what there. I mean. That's you could put, you could put Doug in. Yeah. In even. So, um, yeah, so, you know, it's, uh, I could do that, but Doug or, you know, that kind of thing. But anyway, that's them, and it's hand-scrawled on a piece of paper, it looks like. I know you can't type it, I guess. Huh? Uh, you need a very different font, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now how do you yeah, get rid of so, it? Yeah, right. uh, yeah. Okay. so, anyway, how do we get rid of this now? So anyway, um, we can get back to that. Okay, so, oh, this is going to be a problem. No. Just, where are we at? Oh. Uh, no. Oh, so anyway. No. You're right there. After the death of EB1. Anyway, so they provide, they had provided a lexicon. Sorry, everybody. Sorry, <laughs> provided a lexicon of the even written language to work from, provided by... Uh, EBE one according to the DIA. Um, this is the defense intelligent DIA information. This is the defense intelligence information. Um, putting that up on the screen was it was pretty fumbly, wasn't it? Uh, <laughs> it was kind of interesting. So anyway, something new we're trying here. So bear with us. Uh, DIA defense intelligence agency. This is something that Kennedy put together. And this, we're not going to drag ourselves down the rabbit hole of the Kennedy conspiracy, the assassination conspiracy. But, however, the DIA was developed by Kennedy because he threatened to take the CIA wasn't very forthcoming about the information they had on things. Yeah. So 
Um, he threatened to take the CIA to, apart piece by piece, and then he throws together the DIA. Could find out. I'll put my own intelligence yes. agency together. And uh, whether or not that attributed to um, his um, demise is uh, uh, definitely a topic of conversation. The scientists sent several messages in 1953 uh, that went unanswered. And then after an intense 18-month uh, effort to improve their syntax, they sent two messages in 1955 and uh, finally, re finally received a reply. We had begun an, begun an actual di dialogue with an alien civilization across a vast ocean of space, far more significant than the accomplishments of Guglielmo Marconi and Alexander Graham Bell. If this event had not been so secret, it would have generated huge headlines in all the major newspapers of the world. Goog yeah, just a bit. Guglielmi. Googly Elmo. Marconi and Bell. Googly Elmo. Marconi and Bell. It's Googly Elmo. Googly eyed Elmo. Anyway, so um, one can imagine the celebratory scene at the lab when the first alien message appeared on the communication device. I wonder how it got there. When it's like, it's like, ah, you have mail. No, they have. Was, <laughs> I mean, back then it probably would have been like a. Teletype Tele machine. might have been a teletype. Yeah. yeah, it appeared on the communication. Well, they had their own communication device. I don't. Oh, that's right. They don't explain how the the intricacies of the device. I'm just curious. That would be interesting. Was that the first LED screen? Yeah, yeah. Well, they well it wasn't the first. It was alien technology. Oh, so I mean, they had. It's where they, we got it. They had LED screens, and now then we had LED yes. screens. Funny how that works. Now come the job of translation. Unaided, the scientists could only comprehend about 30% of the message. However, with the help of language specialists from both U.S. and foreign universities, they were able to transfer most of the, excuse me, translate most of the message. Based on the probability that the Ebens are smarter than we are, we seem to think that we're stupid. The scientists <laughs> then decided to send we a are. reply in English. In 52, we were. We're a little bit better now. Now, so we're hoping the Evens will find it easier to translate our language. So, you know, that's what I say because you know, that's what Americans do. Yeah, but we go to other countries and say, Why on earth would you not understand? Why would our you, language? yeah, why would you speak this language? Because when they then received English is so cool, well, yeah, everybody should speak it, right? <laughs> they then received a reply in broken English about four months later. The aliens didn't understand the concept of verbs. So their message contained only nouns and adjectives. Oh. Okay. Yeah. It's going to be tough to talk about coming here when you don't have a verb. So it's like Russian. It's <laughs> <laughs> verb. No, that's not verb. It's consonants. Yeah. Lots of consonants. It took several months for us to figure out the English reply. It became clear. Yeah, we are a little. Yeah. Several months. That if we sent them some basic English lessons so we could. You like we do. You will every, learn English. Like okay, you just have to learn our, and that does make sense. So you just send them fourth grade English or whatever, yeah. or second grade English. Now it's probably kindergarten. Um, anyway, it might carry be possible to carry on a productive dialogue much faster than uh, if we had to continue to labor over the impossibly cryptic language with three hundred and fifty symbols. This was done, and six months later. Los Alamos received another English. So did it take them six months to, to learn English? To learn English? Well, it doesn't. It probably takes a while for the message to get there. And then they yeah. got to study it. Yeah, I think they're like 39 light years away or something crazy. And they were catching on. But according to Anonymous, Evans were confusing several different English words and still, well, because English is stupid, and still yeah. failed to complete a proper sentence. But it was an auspicious beginning. The Evans now had the basics for English communication. Spoken like a true German. Well, think Americans about it. Americans are stupid. Think about how crazy English is. Certainly, if they had the ability to travel throughout the galaxy and interact with other civilizations, they could decipher the rules of the language yeah. that human fifth grade, I said fourth graders, it's probably <laughs> younger than that, mastered routinely. Very sensibly, the Evens then sent us compendium there's another word of their alphabet with what they believed to be corresponding english letters. so they have 350 yeah they have 350 so they have symbols of, that's what we just put they up have on a lot the, of on the screen. 
Yeah, responding so, English letters. So this was then turned over to university linguists working with the uh, Los Alamos scientists. And our language specialist struggled with it and had a very difficult time. It took another five years. Okay, we took five years before we required a basic understanding of their language. Well, they have 350 letters. How do you, and they didn't divide them up for us. And the Evens became somewhat haltingly able to communicate in English. Oh my God, this must have been so frustrating. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, that is. Five years. Five years to learn their alphabet. Come on. (laughs) During the five year period, they, uh, which constituted the final years of, the Eisenhower administration, the scientists continued to seek to arrange a return visit of the Evens to Earth. That's interesting, the time the time frame, because yeah. they got Eisenhower, but yet the DIA was put together by Kennedy. Yeah, well. Uh, do, that's bizarre. So um, the scientists continued to seek to re- arrange a return visit of so the Evens to Earth. So we want more of them to come down and, and take our people apart because, you know. Well, they're here. I think as it turns out later, we figure out that these ships that are landing, mm-hmm. these aren't, um, you can't go from universe to universe with these ships. They're not galactic. They can't, they're only sport models. So they were built here? Well, they came from a mothership. Oh. Uh, allegedly. She birthed them out. And yeah, she pumped them out, and then they're coming down here. And actually, they're sending. I think it comes out later also that the mothership never really left the orbit. It was here the, all these five years. The thing was just it was just there. up there. Yeah, it the message really wasn't going back to their planet. It actually was going. Oh, so but whoever's the, on the mothership's the one going. Okay, now we have to learn this fourth grade English. Yeah, and try to talk to these yeah. people. Oh, and we'll get to the end. You know, as I remember, there's something about it was always here. It might have been between the visits that it was here, but we'll uh, we'll march forward. Well, the desire for another visit was mutual. It appeared that we both wanted to establish some sort of diplomatic relationship. Well, we, especially the scientists, were no doubt motivated uh, by high. Minded sociological and scientific interests. Our government officials and the military intelligence people were suspicious of the aliens. It's shocking as that might seem. The, suspicious the, military. The military is suspicious. <laughs> and we're concerned about the uh, understanding that their advanced te- technology, particularly as, a, as applied to weaponry. Well, yeah. We were probably still hopeful that a return visit would lead to an exchange program. It will be recalled that this was proposed by EB1 in his fifth message at our prompting. But if he did receive a reply agreeing to it, he wasn't able to translate it for us. So, but he would have received it in his own language. Yes. But he couldn't tell it to us because yeah, because poor EB-1. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm torn, I don't know. The aliens had the same goals. We can safely conclude that they were very much interested in our atomic bombs. I'm not, they have intergalactic travel, I'm not sure what how so advanced atomic bombs is compared to that but if you got that if you have interplanetary travel yeah you've got something that's probably going to be more dangerous than an atomic bomb is my guess i don't know um as we later learned while on their planet they had not developed atomic energy and although they didn't have the more powerful uh they did have the more powerful particle beam weaponry and uh, had used it, had used it in war. So they, they've got particle beam weaponry, and they're like, well, we don't have atomic weapons. Like, what do you want? Which, yeah, why would you want that? <laughs> I mean, if you can just... Uh, well, I want, well, like us, we also want that. Yeah, we want that. <laughs> and we have this, but we want We that. want all the weaponry. <laughs> well, once you have it all, then there will be peace, right? <laughs> yeah. The, oh, yeah. The, the Evens wanted to retrieve the bodies of their dead comrades, um, which involves some complications. While we did keep the remains of the bodies frozen at Los Alamos using some very advanced cryonic technology. Ew. Yeah, Anonymous says we performed autopsies on four of the five dead e- evens uh, found at Corona. That was at the at the Corona crash site. There were two, as, as you remember, there yes. were two Roswell crashes. One was in 47, and there was a second in 49. And they wanted 49, of course, to, you know, the bodies had been taken apart by predators and drug around and they were decomposed. So there wasn't a lot left to, to uh, do autopsies on, although, you know, we'll. We tried. Yeah. So 
this is probably explained the autopsy thing is probably explained to them but um not really surprised that it didn't shock them at all in fact they probably expected it as as we later learned on serpo the ebens had a rather ghoulish biotechnology research operation of their own that went far beyond simple yeah i mean we're going to learn more about this later but they had a uh they had a building where they were actually putting together they would put together like half and they had human hybrids so i wonder where those came from mm -hmm. anyway so um so that's why they were had body parts in there yeah they i mean just, i need an arm we need an arm and a leg the you know i just did an interview i did the interview on on friday mm -hmm. um and one of the things he was he was abducted and one of the things they did is they took um sperm samples from oh, okay. him yeah he actually had um marks they were very symmetrical four marks around a certain area of his body mm. and that they were extracting oh, i don't wow. um i don't know if he knew um i'll be interviewing him um at a later time but um, that's going to be a good one this what he ex experienced and he saw some of these around his you know woke up and these things were standing around his bed and he you know he called them graves well graves is another type of graves is another type of uh et the the Ebens are the typical, you know, four and a half, five foot, big eyes, that kind of thing. So planning the return visit turned out to be much more complicated than we expected. We were unable to understand their date and time system, which was an ongoing problem all the way to the trip. And they could not comprehend ours. So we sent them all the details of our planetary rotation and revolution and how we mark dates and time and precisely... Uh, where we were at the moment we sent the data. I don't know if that helped or not. Apparently it didn't help because we ended up being there 13 years instead of 10. And the Ebens were never under, able to understand our system. Well, it is kind of weird. You got, you know, 24 hours and the clock being on Well, they, have, they live in a binary star system. Yeah. So there's two suns okay. in their area. So it's a completely different um, refer time reference. So I don't even, I don't even know if they got into what they're, reference of time was it would be a simple conversion well right when they got there they should have been well this, this is, is now. yeah they should one of the first things we should have done was figured out that we need to convert our one hour 24 hour right. day week month into what there's immediately that should have been the first thing they did yeah while we have timekeeping you know pieces well finally by 1960 we figured out their time system and were able to send them longitude and latitude coordinates that we thought they could understand. However, we could not be sure. In 62, we developed a better arrangement. Um, they off, they went, uh, then decided to send pictures showing the earth landmarks, simple numbering system for time periods. They allowed us to select a date and we chose April 24th, 1964. Well, isn't that funny? Oh, that's interesting. That's, yeah. Selecting a landing location uh, proved to be uh, even more complex. Uh, the military planners wanted to make absolutely certain that security wouldn't be compromised and that the press or the public would not have a clue about what was going on. Yeah, first they considered remote islands, but they realized that unusual movements of naval vessels uh, would arouse suspicion. They decided the site had to be controlled by the military to ensure, com you know, complete yeah. secrecy. Uh, they settled on the southern end of the White Sands Missile Range near Holloman Air Force Base in New Mexico. It's a pretty desolate area. Holloman was previously known as Alamogordo Army Airfield, a training site for the 8th Air Force bombardment crews during World War II. They also selected, of course, a fake location on the base itself to misdirect interest. These decisions were made and confirmed by the Ebens in March of 62. Uh, it took 10 years from the death of EB-1, that's your dog scratching, yeah, dog to scratching. arrive at this historic <laughs> agreement. The long-range planning schedule is somewhat surprising since the Ebens must have had a mothership already in orbit around Earth and, complete, and consequently must have been able to send scout ships to the surface without delay. So this whole time, like we talked about, they had a mothership the whole time, you know, and Just, it took this long. I, maybe they really, you know, they're not in charge though. You know, 
they're only the mothership. Right. You know. Um, so they're having to you know, they had to the take the, Yeah, they, we were sending it to the planet, but it's probably like, okay, we'll get it. And then we'll send it. And then you know how it is when you do a message and then the other person did does you, the message. Did you ever, back in the days when you had to get do phone calls by TDD? If, if a deaf person wanted to call my state office and had a question, they had to go through the system where they would call and type a message to an operator. Their operator would then convey the message to me. I would then answer that question. The operator would type a message to the person on the other end. That's probably how this was. And then sometimes the uh, it isn't typed exactly. Yeah, and it would correctly. take forever, yeah. So I'm assuming that's how this was, just like in the 70s for me. So that tiny six-man craft that crashed near Roswell did not travel to Earth by itself over 38 light years from Zeta Reticuli system, which we had later determined to be their home constellation. Yeah, if a mothership had remained in orbit around our planet after the Roswell crash, it had remained in orbit. after. The, that's why... It was not possible for the Evens to just send Mother Scoutcraft to service to arrange formal rendezvous directly. Yeah, why why did, couldn't they? Why didn't they send a rescue? You know? Oh, now we have helicopters. That Chinook's back. <laughs> That's got to be that Chinook helicopter. Remember, it flew over yesterday. I'm like, yeah. holy crap, what's that? Um, MJ-12 and the government must have wondered about that and must have asked the question over the communication device at an early stage of the interplanetary... Dialogue. So you're just questioning them right off the bat. Why don't you just do this? Why don't you just do that? <laughs> it's typical. You just read mine. Oh, okay. So now it's you. Go back to yours. Your turn. This brings up the possibility that this indeed did indeed happen, that uh, some negotiations may have ensued without the subsequent knowledge of the DIA, the agency, that ultimately released the Serpo material in 2005. This should come as no surprise since the DIA did not exist in 1953. The Defense Intelligence Agency was created by John F. Kennedy's Secretary of Defense, Robert McNamara, in October of 61. Okay. Uh, whatever happened between the Roswell crash in July 47 and the advent of the DIA in 61 could only have been known to them from information they were able to gather after the creation from top secret army and air force intelligence sources uh, operating under uh, President Eisenhower. It would be fair to conclude that these military intelligence agencies were not very happy about having to turn this information over to a brand new intelligence agency created by a new young Democratic president who planned to replace them by combining all their functions under a single umbrella op operation. Hmm. Yeah, it's, yeah, and like we said, I don't know if this had anything to do with his demise, but you gotta, yeah. you gotta remember they were trying to take down the mob. They were trying to take down the CIA. I mean, it was almost a suicide mission, if you ask me. Yeah. You know, you just there are some things you don't mess around with. Right now, the CIA is still today more powerful than the president. Yeah. So it's, you know, that's probably why we still don't know anything about any of this stuff. Consequently, they are probably not very cooperative and may have uh, provided incomplete information or possibly even disinformation about the era when Eisenhower was president. Most likely they convinced MI-12 itself not to share that intelligence with the DIA in the interest of compartmentalization. Well, it's good to know that that's not yeah. a new a new fact that, you know, this has been going on. Yeah, it's MJ-12. It looks like an I, but it's MJ-12. Oh, MJ-12, Majestic. Majestic. Just remember, it's Majestic 12. You're thinking MI, like MI6. The, yeah, uh, that's, that's me. You're in England. Yeah, I know you're going for the England. I know you, yeah, that's what, like exactly James what, Bond. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> going for the James Bond connection. Yeah, exactly. These Americans are boring. This is probably exactly what happened since we know that the Evens uh, did send another scout craft to Earth in, uh, on May 20th, 1953, and that the craft did not crash. It landed. Uh, evidently, those messages um, that were sent in early 53 must have been answered after all, but the DIA was not informed uh, about when the agency uh, joined the project, informed about this when the agency joined the project in 62. Um, just, as, uh, just as the Roswell story, the revelation that the um, 
that an alien craft was thought to have crashed near Kingman, Arizona in 53 was kept tightly contained for almost 20 years. And this is about the Kingman incident. If it hadn't been for the very thorough reporting of a dedicated National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomenon investigator, it probably would have remained buried for at least another 10 years. Yeah, the dogged and... Doesn't Maggie was part of... Didn't she volunteer for them at some for point For NICAP? Yeah. I have to ask her about this. You have to revisit did. this. Yeah, I think she did. National, she was part of NICAP? I think so, yeah. Oh, and I've known her for this long, and well, I you haven't... You guys discussed it. Briefly, but I didn't really realize how... Well, you'll have to do I that. I have to do better investigation. The dog and indomitable digging... Indomitable is another one. There's yeah. some interesting words. Digging of the NICAP UFO teams in the 50s and 60s and their rigid screening and reporting protocols have become legendary. Time and again, their facts were proven incontrovertible. Yeah. And their reports were unassailable. And it was this professionalism that most impressed the newspapers and convinced them to give the UFO story some mainstream coverage in the 60s. As a result of the publicity, the government was embarrassed into forming its own formal public UFO investigative organization in 1966. The now famous Condom Committee. Condom, not That's what it always seems to me every time I see this, the Condom Committee by Gary Condon, mm -hmm. uh, which relied heavily on the fieldwork and reports of NICAP. Author and veteran NICAP investigator Raymond Fowler first broke the Kingman story in an article in UFO Magazine in 1976. Is there still a UFO Magazine? Um, I don't know, but um, Brent brought one to us. Oh, cool. Friday, an old, old, yeah. which had, he actually had found a, there was an, ex, they were, him and his dad were camping and something exploded and he found a piece of, uh, a piece of a UFO, they think, mm -hmm. you know, they were actually able to give it to a university to be analyzed mm -hmm. and it turned out to be some exotic material. It's interesting. That's so cool. Well, um, yep. this, this article was then incorporated into his book, Casebook of a UFO investigator, a personal memoir published in March of 1981. J. Allen Hynek, oh, we know that oh, yeah. name. The chief scientific consultant for the Air Force Project Blue Book said about Fowler, an outstanding UFO investigator. I know of no one who is more dedicated, trustworthy, or persevering. Fowler's meticulous and detailed investigations far exceed the investigations of Blue Book. Wow. And you can uh, find that at www.crowdedskies.com slash Ray underscore Fowler underscore bio dot htm. I'm sure everybody's going to be writing that down. There you go. In this article and in his book, Fowler reports that in the course of his NICAP investigations in 1973, so she might have been involved in I NICAP. I'm pretty sure she's NICAP got dissolved. It's, not, not, it's around no more. You guys so. talked about it. But I didn't realize, uh, I need to talk some more about okay. him. Uh, he interviewed someone regarding a crash disc found in Arizona. Um, the interviewee chose to remain anonymous in Fowler's report, but agreed to go by the assumed name Fritz Warner. Fritz Warner. Always thorough in, invest in obtaining evidence, Fowler asked Warner for a signed statement, giving all the details of his experience, which he agreed to do. In that statement, which was on June 7, 1973, Werner testified that on May 21, 1953, he assisted in the investigation of a crashed unknown object in the vicinity of Kingman, Arizona. Think he's German? Sounds like it. In the statement, Werner described the object as oval in about 30 feet in diameter. He said it was constructed of an unfamiliar metal, which resembled brushed aluminum. That sounds pretty cool. Interesting. He said further that the disc was undamaged and had penetrated only about 20 inches into the sand. And it's kind of would suggest that it came down at a very moderate speed. Kind of floated down. Yeah, implying that perhaps this really wasn't a crash at all, but more of a, well, if they landed, they didn't land very well. They scoot, nosed well, in the, into the sand. They parked like I do. <laughs> the hatch was about three and a half feet high and it was open, uh, which was another indication of an orderly landing and egress. Egress, yeah, that's e exit would be better. Um, the hatch height suggested that the occupants of the craft were about that tall. 
so I could be yeah. even. Yeah, exactly. As part of his statement, Warner claimed that he saw a dead alien in a tent near the craft. In his own words, as uh, reported by Fowler, he said, an armed military policeman guarded a tent pitched nearby. I managed to glance inside at one point and saw the dead body of a four-foot human-like creature in a silver metallic-looking suit. Dressed pretty snappy. He had a little metallic suit. little metallic suit. The skin on its face was dark brown. His testimony becomes slightly questionable at this point because in his description, he stated with confidence that this alien had been the only occupant. Yeah, since uh, he was not permitted to enter the craft, there was no way yeah. he could have known by observation how many occupants had been inside. Consequently, somebody in authority must have told him that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. This slip opens the entire statement up to the possibility of disinformation. Suggests that he was deliberately allowed to notice the dead alien and then was told that it was only the only occupant. Yeah, it could be disinformation. It's interesting that you, un you can unravel. There could be go many different directions. Werner told Fowler that he was one of about 15 engineers and scientists brought to the crash site in a bus with blackened windows from uh, Phoenix Sky Harbor Airport on the night of May 21st, 1953. And he had been working on loan from the Atomic Energy Commission at the Nevada test site to assess the damage to various structures due to uh, atomic test blasts. Yes, I, I, be I bet I, they were damaged. I guess if he was German, he probably wouldn't call himself Fritz, right? Is that a derogatory... That's what we would. I guess that's was that was our derogatory name in World War Two. Oh, really? For German, one of the things we called yeah. them, I I, as I remember. So he probably is. He's mm. probably quite the opposite. Exactly. You know. Well, he was flown to, into Sky Harbor from the Indian Springs, Nevada Air Force Base, and at the site he was given his given his particular expertise. He was expected to estimate the velocity of the disc and impact from the way it was embedded in the soil. He ultimately concluded it had been traveling at about 100 knots. Let me shut that up. Good do it with that dog out there. Yeah, I'll deal with that dog. That could almost be considered a landing speed for an anti-gravity craft. Fowler knew uh, Werner's uh, real name. We know now it's Arthur G. Stansel. Uh-oh. We, we know the real name now. We got his name? Yeah, we know his name now. It's Arthur G. Stansel. Oh. And uh, did check him out meticulously. There you go, right there. He found it, that in 1953, Stansel was indeed a project engineer with the Air Force under contract to the Atom Atomic Energy Commission. He had previously worked at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in the Foreign Technology Division. Yeah, foreign meaning UFOs, I think. <laughs> you know, was, I'm sure yeah. it was, or, or Nazi, German. Mm-hmm. Whatever. You know, they were developing some pretty exotic uh, aircraft and things toward the end of the war. They might have won if they could have got, if this thing could happen. Yeah. Did you, what, how'd you quite the dog down? Did I you put a muzzle him, on you? I brought him in here with me. Oh, yeah. Your mo emotional support dog. That's my boy. He determined that Stancil's history and his credentials were uh, genuine, that he had no reason to try to penetrate a hoax. Perpetrate. Okay, that too. We don't penetrate hoaxes. We don't penetrate a hoax. How do you know the words penetrating? We're just drifting here. Each of the people on the bus was escorted one at a time by military policemen uh, from the bus to the heavily guarded, brightly illuminated site. Bright. And instructed to just focus on his or her specific job. And they were told not to engage in any fraternization or discussion about what they learned. Well, that just doesn't sound I'd like they're not like in a chat. Yeah. No discussing of this among yourselves. Yeah, it's don't like talk when, about it. Like when you're on jury duty. No discussing the yeah, case. nobody ever does. No. So really, Werder was violating the instructions when he peered inside the tent. Well, it's shocking. Given the rigid security measures governing the entire procedure, it's pretty much unlikely that the MPs failed to prevent him from looking into the tent. Yeah, it really sounds like it was a dis somehow a disinforma you know, yeah. disinformation thing. I don't know really why. But you like know, you're going to sneak in there. Oh, yeah. we don't see you. Well, yeah. And that's one of the things in Roswell where people said that they got in and saw mm -hmm. the where they had put the craft back. They didn't put it back together, but they, you know how they do a, mm -hmm. uh, an investigation for crashed aircraft. Yeah. They put it in the hangar where, by where it should go, even though it's blown up. Right. 
So, you know, somebody saw that and then they somebody else saw that they were guarding the uh, ETs in the in the uh, truck in the deuce and a half. And they looked at each other. And as soon as the guard turned his back, they picked up the blanket. Yeah, right. You know, so. Guards don't turn their back. Yeah, it never happens. More likely, he was allowed to see the alien and to go away, believing that he had stolen a furtive glance and was then uh, led to believe that he had seen the only occupant and that occupant was dead. Maybe it's the fact that we didn't want the public to know there's more than one. Right. I don't know. I don't know. Well, if, if you at. see one dead one, then you're not going to be as afraid of, well, one's dead and the other two it, ran away or it, the other two are alive yeah. or, you know, one dead one would say, okay, you know, there was a concern, but now everybody rest easy. Your government's yeah, in everything's charge. everything's fine. The government has fixed everything. In fact, it seems unlikely that the stage scene was only for Werner's benefit. Probably all 15 investigators had the exact same opportunity. And when it came to secrecy vows, all the participants received very lightweight treatment. Air Force Colonel got on the bus and had them all sign the Official Secrets Act. Yeah, he then asked them to raise their right hand. <laughs> Take an oath oh. to never reveal I promised to never what they talk about experienced. This. And uh, this was very different from the horror stories others have talked about where terrifying intimidation and threats were common. And I think that happened before where, although those are the stories, I don't know if those were as prevalent as, you know, um, people, as, as people might think. But I think it did happen mm -hmm. where they were intimidated, you know, that I'm going to drag you in the middle of the desert and bury you. Well, yeah, you say anything. You know they can make you disappear. Yeah, so, I mean, they were, you know, I mean, that's what made people scared. And back in the day, people were more scared of the government than they are today. Yeah. If someone, government, came in here and said, quit doing this, or we're going to take you out in the middle of the desert and bury you, I would be mildly concerned, but I wouldn't be as concerned back in the, as I yeah, would have been in the 50s. Yeah, we're a little more traceable these days. You know? It seems likely that the Air Force expected and wanted these people to later reveal the event and what they had seen in the tent so that the sold dead occupant version would gain currency. We will see why this tricky bit of manipulation might have been carried out and why it was so important. Yeah, weird. The website that hosted the original Project Serpo Revelation, it's done, um, you guys out there might want to make a note of this. A lot of this information, there's a lot more information about this uh, going on uh, on this website. There's different categories, different... Uh, there's um, interviews by Ray Do Richard Doty, Rick Doty, um, about what he um, knows about this, and he's, he's commented to that. Um, so definitely check out www.serpo.org. And uh, there hasn't been anything put in. This is where people can simply um, put, you know, their own story. I'm sure, it, I don't know who, I don't know who runs the site, you know, but people can just put in information there that they've known. A lot of these people are dead now. Yeah. I mean, it stopped in 20, I think the last entry was 2014. But there's other, you know, there's other people in there coming up, kind of peruse the site. It's hard, it's hard, you can't hardly get through the whole thing. But it's, um, but anyway, the, um, it invites uh, military intelligence and other government insiders who had direct knowledge about the, uh, what's the word, about the, um, uh, about the Serpo story to send in what they know or uh, had experience for publication on the website. Um, this is something that they just did the senatorial uh, UFO, UAP, the Arrow, the new organization Arrow, who's investigating all the UFOs and UAPs. Mm -hmm. um, and they had the guy that runs that, uh, that they were interviewing him. They had a couple of uh, senators, I think. Interviewing them. Sorry if senators or congress, if senatorials, I'm assuming it's a senator. Yeah. Um, and they were stating he had this thing's been going on. I don't know if it's been a year. It's been a long time. Um, not long time in government terms. No. But um, the thing is, one of the questions <coughs> they asked was that um, if they have gotten a website together so that people can um, come on and simply make a report. Right. About what they've seen, you know, and the guy's like, no, we haven't um, gotten that yet. <laughs> it's like, dude, a company could I could do this in 10 minutes. Right. You know, and you can't 
you know, I, I think he needs, he's indicating that he needs some kind of, it's an approval. They've done it and it's going through an approval process and it's getting, I don't want to say stonewalled, but it's getting, there's for some reason they're dragging down yeah. the, um, the information on it. But uh, one such uh, contribution published on the site in August 2006, it sheds new light on what actually happened at Kingman. Kingman. Um, it's a photographic image of two-page uh, classified memo, evidently written um, as a briefing document for another uh, government group. It's dated March 24th, 1995. And whoever sent it in evidently understood or perhaps suspected that there was a connection between the Kingman event and Project Serpo. It was uh, sent by a researcher who supplied his name but remained unidentified. Supplied his name but remained unidentified. How do you remember? In the posting. Well, uh, he supplied his name to somebody, but they didn't reveal, reveal it in uh, the posting. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Okay. In the typed com copy, the document makes reference to a vessel that fell in Arizona. Written in longhand, at the top it says, 1953... Kingman Surbat Mountains, north of the Kingman Army Air Base. The Army Air Base is now the Kingman Municipal Airport. Yeah, the Kerbet Mountains are about 10 miles northwest of the airport. The document gives fascinating insider details about the Kingman crash retrieval as part of the explanation of how the long-term relationship with the Evans developed and how the reverse engineering program began. So that's interesting. Oh, to begin with, sorry, I, there's a dog in my lap. <laughs> to begin with, it is, it is a confirmation of Stancil's report that an alien craft came down near Kingman in 1953. The major departure from his report concerns the number of occupants and their condition. Yeah, the document says there were four all alive claiming the vessel contained the four entities. Two were disabled mm -hmm. and two were reasonably well, but somewhat confused. The writer of this document claims to know that another alien craft was actively monitoring the craft retrieval, although our people were not aware of that at the time. Yeah, it didn't for whatever reason. It's interesting because the um, the military got there before their rescue, I was say rescue, mm -hmm. whatever craft was there, another craft out of the mothership probably. Mm -hmm. um, before We got there before them. It, it, it leads me to believe that we've got crash retrieval teams mm -hmm. um on alert at all times 24 7 yeah that we're ready whenever this happens we immediately can get there and i don't know if it's immediately to get there before the rescue team can get there but it's immediately before you or i right would be able to get before out the there you know the press gets a chance you to... know and get my camera phone out there of course that it was in the 50s they didn't have that mm -hmm. but um you know it was a little more difficult to get pictures it's more difficult to carry your camera yeah um he says, little did the government know that the retrieval operations were uh, monitored by the visitors. Um, the visitors were well aware of the mishap uh, of one of their vessels. However, the military got to the uh, crash site first. And that's what we're calling them now. They're visitors in, at this point. The choice of the word mishap is very interesting in this context. It infers that the problem was not so much that the craft crashed, but that the landing place was not the intended location. It, it implies that the craft missed its destination. Yeah, considering the uh, retrieved disc was ultimately taken uh, to the Nevada test sites, um, it's reasonable to conclude that it was originally heading for that location, only about 200 yards away on a northwest flight path. And we're going to go ahead and um, we're going to go ahead and wrap it for this. Are you done? Episode of, you know, Project Serpo. So, you know, it's a fascinating story, but is it true? I don't, you know I what I mean? It is a great it's, story. You know, there's a lot going on. We're This will be the format that we continue on. We're, okay. We won't go. It'll be, we don't know. We'll, we'll do the, I mean, we're not going to wait months to do each one, but we are going to do different segments. Again, um, you can pick up the book Secret Journey to Planet Serpo. It's on Amazon. Um, I don't want to, you know, make get, use quotations out the book without, you know, um, pimping the book. Sell the book. Yep, I want to sell it. I want, you know, make sure you uh, 
you know, you check it out. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of the Alien Probe Podcast. We welcome comments, questions, or requests to alienprobepodcast at gmail.com. Visit us on Facebook. Check us out at alienprobe.net. Twitter and Instagram at alienprobepod. YouTube, like and subscribe. <laughs> Alien Probe Podcast. And if you plug in Doug Anthony after that, I'll bring it right to the top. Thanks to Deb for joining me today. Thank you. Another fabulous episode. And thanks to Max for hanging out. And yeah, interrupting as often as he could. Watch the skies. <laughs>